We probably should have had a song or something, but I'm not going to sing a cappella, so don't worry. Once again, we are glad that you're joining us here this morning, whether it's in person or if you're online. We're glad that y'all are here. What a blessing. This second week of our acknowledgement, even celebration of Advent. This week is, the focus is on peace. So we're going to be talking this morning about how that peace is provided for us, who provides that peace, how we can build that peace into our lives. So the peace candle was lit this morning. We're going to be spending time again in the book of Isaiah, as we did last week, when Neil talked to us about the hope that we have in Christ. So let me go ahead and let me invite you to go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be focusing in verses 6 through 7, but I'm going to be reading the first seven verses just for context. To set the map of where we're going this morning, first we're going to be continuing in our prayer. We're going to be praying for another fellowship here in town, Authentic Life or Authentic Fellowship. Pastor Jimmy Vaughn and his wife Sharon, we're going to be praying for them this morning. We're going to be praying for our future pastor. If you've been around for the last six months, you know that we're searching for a new pastor right now. So we're going to be praying for our new pastor and his family and their current fellowship as they anticipate this transition. We're going to be praying for another, un, for an other, another people group, an unreached people group, the Chechen people in the northern Caucasus Mountains of Central Asia. Um, in 2013, there were a group of four of us from here that went over to Kazakhstan and we spent time in the northern villages in Kazakhstan that were the Chechen people, that were remnants of the dispersion after World War II. Really developed a heart for the Chechen people at that time. And then I went back in 2015, actually we went to Grozny, Chechnya. Um, what I found there was a people that just loved other people. Okay. Um, they don't know the Lord. There's not a, at least as far as we know right now, there's not one single believer out of the 1.4 million Chechens in that country right now. They're primarily Islam. So we need to be praying for them that God would break through at least one person's heart. So we're praying for them this morning. Then we're going to be praying for our time this morning as we, as we continue in our observation for Advent. So join me in prayer. Fathers, we come before you this morning. We first of all acknowledge your presence in this place. That you are here because of your love for us. Father, you're not here because we deserve your presence. But you're here because you love us. We acknowledge that, Father, when we worship you. And I pray that through this morning, you would accept our worship in spirit and in truth. Father, I pray for another fellowship here in town, Authentic Fellowship, with Jimmy Vaughn as their pastor, his wife Sharon. Father, I pray first of all that this week has been rich for Jimmy as he's been digging into your word, and that that has fueled not only his readiness to stand and deliver your word this morning, but has enriched his relationship with Sharon. Father, I pray for their fellowship, and I pray that they would continue to be salt bearers, and light bearers in this community. 
Father, I pray for our future pastor. We don't know his name right now, but we have every assurance that you do know his name. So, Father, I pray for that man, for his wife, and I pray for their current fellowship that when they get the word that that man is leaving their fellowship and coming here, that you would provide them comfort and peace, knowing that you have a plan for them as well. So, Father, I pray your blessings upon them this morning. Father, I also lift up the Chechen people in the northern Caucasus Mountains in Central Asia. Father, as far as we know, there's not a single believer in that country. There's not even a known evangelistic movement in that country. So, Father, we, we pray that you would awaken hearts in that country to hear the truth of your gospel. And then it would spread through wildfire through those mountains. And that you would claim that nation for yourself. Father, I pray also for our time this morning as we continue in our observation of Advent. As we dig into Isaiah and as we dig into the New Testament to see exactly how this promised peace impacts our lives. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his, it's in his name I pray these things. Amen. Now, we're, we're approaching Christmas. You know, and this is a time that we think about gifts, giving, and receiving. And have you ever thought about it and you just really wanted something? I mean, a lot. It's like when you wake up in the morning, that's the first thing you think of. When you go to sleep at night, that's the last thing you think of. That you want this thing, whatever it might be. If your family's like our family, usually sometime end of October, 1st of, thank, or 1st of November, then we get this text message, I need your, I need your wish list. You know, everybody has a wish list of things they want for Christmas. And so we start thinking about that. Now, I've, I've received a blessing in the last several years where Ken, Kendra's not a shop till you drop top person, I promise. She's not. She's just not. But she's really excited about buying Christmas. And in the years past, I would always promise her one shopping trip that I would go on. And she was always very gentle as she walked through and looking for just that right thing she would notice after, it seemed like an eternity for me, but it was probably 30 or 45 minutes for her, that I was about done. So she was always gracious and said, okay, let's do this one more thing, then we'll leave. Now then, she gets to shop in her recliner on her tablet online. So I don't have to go anymore. <laughs> I really enjoy that. This season is a time when we can begin to understand in a different way that desire of wanting, that desire of anticipation, and we prepare. That's what Advent is all about. Think about the people of the time of Isaiah 
They had been waiting for the deliverer for many, many years at that point. They'd experienced the little D deliverer in Moses when he delivered them from Egypt. And again, that was after 400 years of slavery. They continued to anticipate that little D deliverer, and it was Moses, and he showed up. But 400 years after, they started anticipating that. In fact, the big D deliverer they were waiting for, the Messiah, they had been longing for that much longer than that 400 years. They honestly had been longing for that Messiah since the moment Adam and Eve were pushed out of the Garden of Eden. Eve continued to look for that, that man-child that would deliver them back to that perfect relationship with God that she had experienced and that Adam had experienced. Thousands of years later, we see in Isaiah what again is promised. And I would ask you to stand, if you're able, and read with me from the text of Isaiah 9. We're going to begin in verse 1 and go through verse 7. Beginning in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And in the later time, he was made glorious. He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Our focal passage this morning. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the patience there will be, the increase of government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Now, I want you to try to transport yourself this morning into the Old Testament time for just a minute. We see, I got my laser pointer. Neil forgot his last week. But we, we see the, the, the time of the Old Testament timeline. Adam and Eve... We don't know exactly how many years ago that was. If you are a young creation advocate, 8,000 to 9,000 years. Okay. So I'm just going to pretend that's true. We don't know that for sure, but that's kind of where I stand. But then we see in this timeline, after Adam and Eve, 
And through the patriarchs, then we get to Abraham and Sarah at 2100 B.C., Moses at 1500, King David at 1000. The prophets, major and minor, started about 900 B.C. Then we have Isaiah around 700 B.C. Okay, his writings that we read this morning, we believe somewhere between 735 and 700 B.C. was when he was writing this. And it's close enough for our, for our methods this morning for what we're doing. And Isaiah, again, God's people had been waiting thousands of years for the Messiah to show up. And we know that there were prophecies made about the Messiah, how the Messiah could be recognized. In fact, there were at latest count that I've seen, 300 prophecies in the Old Testament of how the Messiah could be recognized. And of these 300 prophecies, Jesus fulfilled every single one. There wasn't a single prophecy that Jesus missed. Proving historically, that he was the Messiah. If you want to study that more, there's a book called A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Absolutely magnificent in this, in this context. But I want you to notice that after the last prophetic word in Malachi, that was at 400 B.C., for the next 400 and about 30 years was silence. Not one word from God. Nothing. Not a zilch. Zero. Not even a whisper from God for 400 years. Imagine that. See, we, we here in the United States, and particularly we here in Texas, think that we got it going on. <laughs> you know, we're a nation of 250 years, give or take. We think we got it. God's people went 400 years without a word from God. Could you do that? I'm sitting thinking, no. I see a couple of heads going, no. Now, God's people didn't do it perfectly either. They messed up. But God continued to draw them back into his kingdom work. He continued to love them and draw them back. Even though they weren't always faithful. But at least in their practices, they tried to stay as good as they could. For four Hundred years without a word. You would think that the people would have said, He must have died. He's not speaking to us, so he must be gone. They went on. They didn't do that. They remained faithful to God. So after 400 years of absolute silence from God, the Messiah did make his appearance. Born in Bethlehem, 
Not what they anticipated, but exactly what Scripture said. Look back in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. We know in other prophecies that he would be born in Bethlehem. This is the Messiah, the King. The anticipation was that kingdom of God would be established here on the earth and would preserve them and protect them from bigger and stronger people, more numerous people. And they would live in peace here on this earth. But they didn't fully understand what God had promised. But in this promise that we're looking at this week, part of that promise is peace. Peace. Just the word itself communicates something to our spirit. You know, if, if, if you're laying in bed at night and you're feeling some anxiety going on, as you pray, you could think and even speak quietly the word peace. Guess what that does to you? <laughs> it brings the anxiety down. It does. Would you be surprised as you're looking for peace that Jesus is the answer? Anybody surprised? No. We know that Jesus is our peace. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We hear from God through Isaiah about Jesus, where he is called the Prince of Peace. And for our Advent focus this week, we direct our thoughts in the direction of peace in our lives. In our world today, with all that's going on, there's not a lot in the world that would speak peace to us, is there? I mean, there's, there's just stuff going on all the time. You know, I don't watch the news a lot, for a really good reason. I don't want to hear all the bad stuff. I just, you know, I don't stick my head in the sand, but I don't immerse myself in that either. But the other night I was flipping through channels and um, there was, there was a, a news report that, that came flashing across the screen and there was a police officer in the Dallas area that was shot and killed. So I stopped and watched that for a minute and prayed for that family. See, there's just turmoil around us all the time. There's just bad stuff going on. We're not even going to talk about the last two years, and we've got lots of little fancy words for what's been going on, but basically, we've been inundated with hard things. It's very difficult to have any resemblance of peace in our lives from things that's going on in the world. So we've got to find that peace somewhere. Since Jesus is named as our Prince of Peace, that's where our peace comes from. And that's what we have to focus on. We're going to look at Jesus' own words this morning about what that peace is and how to gain that peace and how to maintain that peace. 
on the night that Jesus was going to be arrested and tried prior to his crucifixion. He spent time teaching his disciples some of his final directions for him. In John 14, 1, it's recorded that Jesus spoke to them in a way that was probably not the most comforting words. When he said in 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, why would he say that if their hearts were not already troubled? <laughs> That's exactly what had happened. The things that he'd been telling them up to this point created for them a troubled spirit. And he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. And he was literally saying, don't stay troubled. He wasn't saying never have trouble. Jesus himself was troubled. But he said, don't let your hearts remain troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus told them that their hearts would be troubled in where they were and what they were going through. Listen to what he said to them just a little while later in that evening. In John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So he promised them peace. He promised us peace. Now he also in that same breath promised them trouble. That one's a little harder to swallow. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I really didn't need to hear that. But he's been speaking to his disciples about many things that evening in the upper room. He told them how he was going to have to leave them and they couldn't go. He said there were things, there was so much more that he wanted to share with them, but he could not because they couldn't hear. They had the ability to hear with their ears, but their spirit could not comprehend what Jesus was saying. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wasn't there to lead them into the truth. They didn't have the capacity to understand what Jesus was telling them. So he said, I just can't tell you anymore because you can't understand it. Then he told them he was going to send them the Holy Spirit. And they still couldn't comprehend that. But they heard it. You know, everything that Jesus told them that night was absolute truth. It was then and it is now. At the end of chapter 16, we get from Jesus... In me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke these words to his disciples. And today in 2021, we hear those words. And they're still just as true today as they were then. Jesus was telling the truth. Totally. We know that we can trust him. And we have an advantage in that this side of the cross and after Jesus was resurrected and spent 40 days on the earth and he ascended and went back to heaven, 
Two weeks later, he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us. So this side of that time, we have the Holy Spirit living within us and teaching us and leading us into the truth. So we know that everything that Jesus said was true by the testimony of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Having peace in Christ means believing in and trusting all that he did and all that he said. That doesn't mean that you're going to have a trouble-free life. Keep in mind the other element of that promise. You will have trouble. Because if you're here this morning, believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are in exact opposite camp of where the enemy exists. And that makes you a target for the enemy's attacks. But guess what? Jesus has already overcome that. We may go through difficult times, but Jesus has a plan. God has a plan for us in the future. And it's a plan to strengthen us and prosper us. Maybe not financially prosper, but spiritually prosper. He wants us to know him. Because we can expect trouble, we can expect periods of deep darkness in our lives. It can hit us like that. We never know where it's coming from. We, we've seen in our fellowship a 12-year-old boy and a family that loved the Lord deeply. And Trevor went through a horrible illness. That was a dark time for the Daniel family. That was a dark time for our fellowship. But our faith in God and our trust in Jesus Christ is what lifted our spirits. Did we cry? Yeah, we did. But did we celebrate? Yeah, we did. Why? Because Trevor celebrated Jesus in his life. See, those times of darkness can hit us deep in our soul, but Jesus promised a peace that goes beyond that. Deep abiding peace is something difficult to understand and grasp. But in his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul gives us a glimpse into this peace-filled life. So in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, <clears throat> you can either read it up here, read it in your Bible, whichever one you want to do, or you can just listen. In Philippians 4, 4, it says, Rejoice in the, in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and by petition, or supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. We need to always remember, God is a perfect 
parent. He is a perfect father in heaven. And in God's economy, in this verse, he says, there's, there's two imperatives here. To begin with, he says, don't do this. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. But do this. And he redirects us. Now you're looking at a very imperfect parent. I've got two boys that would testify to that. And a wife that would testify to that. I'm not perfect. There were times when our two boys were growing up and I would tell them they were doing something. I'd say, y'all need to stop that. Or I remember one particular time I said, John, don't do that. And he stopped and just turned and looked at me. He was about two or three. And I thought, what are you thinking? <laughs> and I realized he was waiting for me to tell him what to do. So I did. Guess what? I got a piece of paper and some crayons, and he drew a picture. I have no idea what it was, but it stayed on the refrigerator for about three years. It's in our box of memories now. I still don't know what the picture was. But see, that's what, exactly what God does. He says, don't do this. Do this. That's the beginning of that peace. So in Philippians 4 through 6, first of all, he says, don't worry about anything. And right after the don't, he then says, but in everything, pray. It's the first step. In everything, pray. And then he says to pray by supplication. Or petition is another word. And that literally means over and over and over and over and over. And it's not just a one-time prayer. We continue to voice that prayer, trusting in God. Then he says to pray with thanksgiving. Now, does that mean you thank God for the problem? Do this. I've got a good friend one time that Back to my sister, one of my sisters slammed her finger in the door and she said, oh, thank you, Jesus. I was like, what did he have to do with you slamming your finger in the door? You weren't paying attention. You know? And then she's like, well, I guess that sounded kind of weird. And I said, yeah, kind of. So that's not what God is talking about. He's not talking about being thankful for the problem. But in the midst of the problem, be thankful for something. See, we, we, we need to have a thank list with us all the time. Things that we can be thankful for. Primarily, it's Jesus Christ. He's the top of our thank list, regardless of the circumstances you're going through. But you build those things that you can be thankful for. For your marriage partner, for your children, for your grandchildren, for your friends, for your church body. We've got a lot of things in our society, in our lives, that we can be thankful for. We've said time and time and time again over the years that we are the most blessed people in the world. And there's a real truth to that. For one, we can gather this morning without fear of persecution. Nobody's going to break into the door and arrest us for doing exactly what we're doing this morning. We have that freedom. That freedom was well bought for us by Christ. The next thing that he calls us to do 
after we pray with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Tell him what your requests are. Now, is God surprised when you do that? Again, do this. No, he's not. He already knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what your thoughts are. But he wants to hear from us because he loves us and he wants to hear. So we make our requests known to God. And he promises a peace that goes beyond all understanding. That peace literally means it's greater than if God were to explain every single element of your life, past, present, and future. If you knew everything in your life timeline, you would have some understanding. The peace that he promises goes beyond that understanding. It's greater than anything that we can understand as a human. Now the next thing that he directs us to do is to change our focus. In verse 8 of Philippians 4, finally he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So God says, don't think about this worrisome issue. Think about these positive things over here. It's, it's, a, it's a mental shift that God directs us in. Instead of looking this way, we look this way. That changes our perspective and our perception. You see, this is not something that God just doles out and gives us and then it's perfect. Jesus is Peace is perfect, but is it, applies, is it applies to our life? We got to work at it. We got to practice. In verse 9 of Philippians 4, Paul goes on to say, Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He restated that promise. As we practice what God has told us to do, we get better at it. It's like any skill. If you want to get good at something, you have to practice it. Same thing in living and abiding in that peace from Christ. So in every situation, whether good or bad, we present a request to God with thanksgiving. We let go of things and we recognize that Jesus has given us a promise of peace. And then something amazing happens. We trade worry and anxiety for peace. We trade fear for rejoicing. And amazingly, divinely, miraculously, the peace of God that we have in Christ guards our hearts and our thoughts in Christ Jesus. And in an ability to go beyond, or in a way that goes beyond, our ability to understand. To phrase that in a, in a different manner, God provides a peace more better than we would have if we understood everything. He just does. That's what his promise is. So to consider that peace is the promise of Christ's gift 
to you. As you read through the Gospels and you see every situation that Jesus encountered, there were times when the crowds wanted to make him king and then there were times when the crowd wanted to kill him. Sometimes they were just seconds between those two events. But he never lost trust in what God had called him to do. He never lost trust in his purpose, and that was to be on this earth, to live, to glorify the Father. And in all that, he would be glorified. He was interrogated by the leading Jewish leaders of the time. He willingly chose to travel day in and day out for over three years with a man that he knew would betray him. And Jesus didn't let on to that knowledge until this night that he was going to be arrested. I realized realize that Jesus, yes, was literally God incarnate, but he was also human, and he, he dealt with every human emotion that we deal with. And how did he battle those trials? How did he battle that trial of speaking truth to his disciples, but they didn't get it? He knew they didn't get it. They didn't get it because the Holy Spirit hadn't been sent to them yet. He knew that. But he spoke truth anyway because eventually they would get it. Jesus trusted the Father. And he trusted the purpose that he was sent here for. Because of his trust, because of his faith, he was able to have peace even in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was sweating drops of blood that night the agony that he was going through of knowing what was coming, he trusted. This kind of peace he gives to us also. We can trust him. Listen to what Jesus tells the disciples in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives gifts. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There's three more verses that I feel led to, to share with you this morning. Just They're not going to be up on the screen, but just, read, just listen as I read. Isaiah 53, 5. But he, speaking of the Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and punishment and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then 2 Corinthians 13.11 Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Dear people, this peace is a gift provided by Jesus Christ. And it's a different gift than what the world would offer. Just like any other gift, it's your responsibility to focus on Christ 
receive that gift and live in that gift by choice. The gift that he promised. Now, as we discussed last week, we have hope because of who Christ is and what he's promised to do in and through our lives. He is the light that shines in the darkness and we can share that light with others. It's the light of Christ and we share the hope that we have. Our application for the morning. We know that we can also have a peace that transcends understanding and through trusting him we are able to let go of all that troubles us and trust God's plan for our lives, for all eternity. As we trust God, in return, his gift is peace, divine peace, soul-quenching peace. To draw closer to God and to experience that peace with Christ, we must confess our sins to him. So, the first challenge. What do you need to confess today? Ask God. He'll show you. And it doesn't need to be in a formal setting. It can be right where you're sitting. It can be in your recliner at home. It can be driving down the road. Confess. Jesus calls us to trust him. In order to trust him fully, we cannot hang on to the things of the world. So the next question, what is it that you need to let go of to be fully able to place your trust in God? What you need to do this day is to recognize that he has provided his gift of peace. He did the work. Jesus did the work. We receive. What a blessing that is. What a blessed promise that we live under today. The result is his peace. Join me in prayer. Father, as we come before you, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for all that he did for us, all that he promised us, all that he continues to do. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives within us, leads us into the truth of your word, strengthens us, purifies us. Father, we wear a righteousness borrowed from Jesus. And through that, we have absolute assurance that you are working in our lives. Father, we love you. <clears throat> we trust you. And we thank you for this peace. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Now in just a moment, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper as a, as a family, as a group. If you are here today, trusting in the saving work of Jesus Christ and calling him Lord, then you are invited to participate with us this morning. If, however, you're not in that place in your life, I would, inv I would invite you to let this supper pass.
But then before this day is over with, and even before this next hour is over with, turn to someone and say, I want to know what that means. If you truly don't know, find one of the elders, one of the deacons, one of the life group shepherds, the person to your left or right or in front or behind you. Somebody in this fellowship will be glad to share with you who Jesus is and how you can have this peace in your life. Now our elders are going to come forward. And during this next song, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to invite you to come up to one of these two tables and we're going to present the elements to you. Take those elements and return to your seat and then we'll share the supper together as a group.